Hello. Hi, Rebecca. It's Beatrice. Hi, Beatrice. It's Rebecca. How are you? I'm good. Um, yeah, I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. Um, yes, I'm still being messed around a bit by Instagram, which is bugging me. Oh, no. But other than that, I think I'm okay. Oh, that's annoying. It is annoying. I don't really understand it. It's it's like I'm being punished and put in, on the naughty step, i.e. banned for hours or days, for responding to comments on my posts or liking too many of my of people I follow's posts or commenting on too many people I follow's posts. Oh, how bizarre! So, do they think you're a robot? They think that any of those things can be perceived as abusive, but I don't really know how little star emojis can be abusive. Yeah. And there's like a features limit that they can't change on my account, so it means if I go over a certain amount, I trigger a ban. How bizarre. And once I'm banned, I'm banned, and that ban has to be written out. Oh, no. Because mm. I love Instagram. You know I love Instagram. Yeah. I don't want to not be on Instagram. No, I should love it, you back. It makes me very vexed and frustrated. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Because I just want to like all my likes and comment on all my comments. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that it, that's how it worked. How weird. Yeah, well, that's what the people at Facebook have told me. Like, I've mm. been in contact with real, actual human people. Mm. And that's what I've learned. Oh. That you have to... I basically work too fast for Instagram, <laughs> which the fact that this is, like, contemporary technology and I'm too fast, that doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> and I also am too effusive in thanking people for comments and that mm. kind of thing. That's so I really mean weird. Yeah, yeah, that is really strange. Hmm. Yeah. So that's my pet peeve for the week. Mm, I can see that. That would be a peeve. It is a peeve. Yeah. And and how are things with you? Well, I um I'm halfway through this biography, um because I don't think I ever told you about my visit to the Montmartre Museum when I was in oh, Paris. No, you didn't. So I'm I'm reading this book. It's a biography of a dancer whose nickname was La Goulou. And apparently it has something to do with gulping. And she apparently was known to take people's drinks when she was dancing. Oh, funny. I was really thinking, where on earth is this leading? That's so funny. Yeah, I... I <laughs> There is also in the biography something that she was she she had a fr- um, boyfriend who had a sort of similar sort of name, so it might have had something to do with that as well. I don't quite understand it, but normally it's explained that that's what she was doing, and <laughs> the reason I got... I mean it doesn't sound very hygienic. But no, it's very funny. No, at this point you wouldn't want to do this. But no, you really wouldn't. no, but yeah. So apparently that's what she did, and. Uh, they had in in this museum, which is lovely. Um, have you ever been? I haven't. I can't believe I haven't. I don't think I even really knew it was there. Yeah, I I really like. They have quite a few sort of little museums, like a museum yes. of, of romanticism. I think it's called, yeah. which I really love. So I I'd never been, and I'm I'm never so keen on Montmartre because it's just so touristy. But then hey, mm-hmm. I I'm a tourist, so what well, you know shouldn't complain <laughs> about that. 
so it's really nice it's in this I think it's like several old buildings um, with a really big garden. So would be really nice to go in the summer. And they call it a yes. gar the Renoir garden because he lived in the house for a little while. Oh, um, that's lovely too. Yeah. And there's also, it includes an apartment and studio of, I think it's Suzanne Valadon. She was a painter. Oh, uh, yes. Yes. So that that's part of it as well. Um, but then the rest is like, uh, you know, local history museum. And it's a bit about why there were these, th that there were actual, what are they called, mills? Or, no, not mills. Yes. What, what is the Moulin Rouge? Windmills. Windmills, that's right. And um, also apparently was a, a place where a lot of, there were a lot of um, laundries as well. And so, oh, because it's up high, yes. so it would be windy. Mm. So, Very good. So... So it talks about that kind of thing and then a lot about the entertainment industry in that area. And there was, it was almost like a corridor between one part of the house and another. And there were these small, like carte visite type photographs of a lot of, I can never say that, con con dancers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I, I was really mesmerized by them because I think it was, Partly that I only know it from films, and I know yes. like an a you know Hollywood version of it. Yeah. And I have, I think I have seen the Jean Renoir film, but so long ago. So it almost seemed like something that didn't really exist in real yes. life. And then to see see these actual women doing the splits or holding up their legs really high, that was just. I don't know, I just suddenly realized, well, that did apparently really exist. And yeah. their clothes are so different, obviously, from what you get in a film. I thought that was really... Oh, in what way? Well, in the films, it always looks like they have long skirts, which they then yeah. hold up at the front. Yes. And in a lot of the photos, it looks like the skirts are already cut in a way that they're shorter at the front. So oh, okay. That's at the front, they're, they only go to about the knee and then right. they're sort of longer at the back. It's a little bit difficult to see because in most photos they're doing, you know, something with their legs. So you can't quite yeah. see what's going on. But I think they, it does look to me like they were special garments and I, mm. and they were most. And that would make sense because exactly. if you had a full length, like the full length of a dress from that time, that would be really awkward to like lean right down and pull up that amount of fabric exactly yeah and dance mm. it would be it would be too heavy and too much i've never really thought about it yeah and also of course the women at that point they're properly corseted not like in a hollywood mm. version of that period where there wow. might be a bit of corseting going on but you know not not proper and they they mentioned particular women, and there was one who was like the the queen of the Concon, I think they called her, and this is this Lagolu, La and she mm. she was actually called Louise Weber, or Weber, I don't know how you would say it, and um, she was born in Clichy, I think, so a little bit outside of Paris, and her mother was also a laundress, and she also becomes a laundress. And she always loved dancing from when she was little. And she first performs this sort of other dance, which was called Cachou, I think. 
um, and that's a dance with two people, so with a man and a woman. But it's yeah. quite a, it's a bit like the galop, shahu, I think it's called. That's what it's called. So it's a quite a vigorous, vigorous dance, and that then yeah. somehow, which I still don't quite understand, um, develops into the concon. Yeah, and there's a lecture online which is interesting, which talks about all these different dances that come out in Paris in the mid nineteenth century. It's so fascinating how mm. important all the and how nuanced all these dances are, and how it, they're continually mutating. It's so kind of fluid. Yeah, and this this lecture is is absolutely amazing. It's this um, uh, Manos also written a book. I'll I'll find the name in a moment, and he talks about. He talks about sort of four phases, and I think what is the first one? And the first one I think is this this one called Shahu, and then it's the galop, and then it's the polka, and various yeah. other Central European dances, which probably never came from Central Europe, but yeah, yeah like the mazurka and all that kind of thing, and then you get the concord, and he says how each of these is linked to a particular venue. And the venue, you know, a venue could be also, they have these outside places where people dance, which which are called ganget, um, or the sort of inside places. And he also talks about how there are these changes from, he calls them closed couple dances, which I think he means where you actually hold each other, like yes. in, a, in the walls. Yes. And then they're like the um, shahu is a is a couple dance, but you don't really hold on to each other. You just dance with each other. I guess like in the seventies or so. Yeah. yeah. And then how it, yeah, and then it goes to the and then he says how it becomes something you participate in turns into the concours where it becomes a spectacle and it's not so much for. Oh communal participation but it's so it's more... like it becomes almost an act yes and something you watch so he he also says the last venue he talks about actually has like from what i gather has like a gallery so people can actually be higher up uh, and look down and actually watch and oh, before wow. everyone is on the same plane so i might slide i didn't understand That's it all so properly yes i thought it was really interesting and clearly then the thing becomes not formalized but kind of more costumified yes. because it's displaying the the body in relation to the dance yes i mean a lot of the vigorous dances like the galop which is one way you it's almost like one i think where you hold on to each other and mm. i think there's another word for that you know when you go into one long snake like and, yes, that kind of thing. So I think a lot of them are to do with carnivals as well. So you, yeah, like Mardi Gras. Yeah. So quite often you would have already have had some sort of costume, but it, that's still different from a professional or semi-professional yes. concon dancer. And is it the case? Because obviously they wear bloomers. Mm-hmm. And are the bloomers? more fancy or, or sort of decorative than underwear and also are they split in the middle as underwear actually was at the mm. time lending an extra element to what yeah is yeah i don't entirely know but the the pictures there are quite a lot of pictures of la Gaulle around <laughs> and of some of the others she apparently didn't invent the concon there was another one called Rigol Bosch, I think, and who apparently invented it, 
whether there was a split or not, you can't really see. Yeah. But they look very, very decorated with lace, more than I yes. I would expect. And also the... So even though the skirts are shorter at the front, you still have the same amount of petticoat, as it, as it were. So the petticoat is also shorter at the front, but there is a petticoat underneath that you can see. you can see. You know, you could just dispense, I guess, with a petticoat to make your life easier as a dancer. Yeah. But I think that, you know, the whole thing is you can see the petticoat. Yeah, it does seem like it's it's about how vigorous the dance is and kind of crazy almost. Yes. But also the kind of shock of the reveal. Yes. Kind of seeing legs and underwear and everything else and apparently in particular in, in quite a few of the pictures she wears beautiful uh stockings with really nice clocks you know really nice decoration and apparently what was gave a particular frisson was like the little bit of skin you might see between the stocking and the oh, petticoat yeah. and there's one image it's like a famous image which is also on the front of the biography where she actually sits down on a chair next to a table with which has a champagne bottle on it and she looks at a glass with some champagne or whatever in it. And she has a one of her leg o- over the other, so she sort of crossed her leg and you can yeah. actually see quite a lot of her leg between wow. between the the stockings and and the pantaloons or whatever you would have called them. I always think it's so amazing the way performers it was allowed that so much more of their skin could be shown and so much more underwear or whatever. Because I, I, I understand why. I understand it's because they're designated as performers and they're not respectable ladies and la-la. But it still just seems amazing how contradictory it is and how it completely undermines all of sort of bourgeois morality that you're actually and enjoying this other thing as well that shows all the things that ladies aren't supposed to show yeah that that is odd and also how i've just i'm just looking at one particular photo of her and she's wearing a long sleeved you know her body's is long sleeved and there's quite a lot of decolletage but not crazily so and she wears these dark stockings albeit very fancy ones so it's sort of that always strikes me as well. What bits you can show without any problem? Yeah, what no, it's so arbitrary, isn't mm. it? It's so bizarre because obviously, uh, for for you know, a respectable elite lady could wear have a lot of decolletage and short sleeves if she's in evening wear. Mm. But then she'd have gloves, so I guess you still have that frisson of the top of her arm being bare yeah. between the sleeve and the glove. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I also, also, I also, 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 also <laughs> think it's really fascinating with geishas, the way at the back, like the back of their neck is seen as really fascinating. Mm. So the way that their white makeup has a gap between the dress and like that you can see a bit of their skin. They deliberately don't do the yes. white makeup right down to the costume. And it's so interesting how just like that little slither of skin, you know, in in various different cultures becomes so charged. Yes. Mm. Because of all the kind of social rules and etiquette about the way women can be looked at and displayed. It's really quite 
alarming in some ways. I mean, it's very beautiful, but it's also quite alarming. You mean and this case? Social paraphernalia, really. Yeah. Around the body. Mm. In this case, it's also interesting how I think how how from a very vigorous dance between performed by a couple, how then the woman becomes yeah, becomes that's the really star. fascinating. Mm. And she's, and she's was it, sorry. Can I just yeah, ask, sure. Was it like with your your famous lady? Mm. Would she have been dancing on her own? Because when you see it on like TV and Hollywood films, there's always a big gang of can can dancers all in a row. So was it actually just one or were, were there groups of dancers together? This I still don't quite understand, but there are images also with groups of them together. And so I I have a feeling it was groups, but it wasn't necessarily like an organized, as organized and choreographed. I see. I might be wrong there, but that's at the moment my impression. It wasn't as organized and choreographed as you would get in a film. So I don't... That makes sense. Because I was wondering also, which sort of relates, is, you know, it. there is one picture where she, where she actually is doing the splits. And, you know, how did she train? How did that work? You know, getting your leg at almost vertically yes. up in the air while standing, that's that, also not, not that's easy. I know Yes. And whilst wearing a corset on top of everything else. That is remarkable because mm. obviously the corset, is it one of the, the kind that just comes to your waist? Not that I'm under playing how much that is. Yeah. Or it's, is it coming down below the waist as well? I'm just no. trying to imagine which bit of you is most restricted. I think it must be. I mean, it must be a sort of shortened version because of the way she holds her leg up I don't I just can't it can't have gone down you know I know because I'm just thinking how could you do that if you can't you must be able to move below the waist yeah yeah exactly yeah so you might I suppose if you're if you've grown up wearing corsets it would be a very different thing than if you or I suddenly decided to start wearing them. yes yeah it would so <laughs> so it's kind of it's an accustomed thing but then yes to then kind of train yourself to and especially she's a laundress so she's gone from being a laundress to being a dancer to being a dancer who can do standing up splits yeah it's quite something Mm. and it's interesting that it's so this was in Montmartre theatre so this is kind of appealing to bohemians and the locals presumably well Yes, sort of. I mean, she actually she wasn't called the the queen of the Concours. She was called the. Did I say that earlier? She was called the yeah. queen of the Moulin, Moulin Rouge. Oh, um, okay. But she also appeared in other in other places. But from what I gather, and Toulouse Lautrec um, painted her, mm. and I'm sure you you have seen pictures of her because one of the distinctive things of her is that she has a um, what's it called when you twirl your hair together. Like a chignon, but that's not quite yeah. right. like a knot. Um, yeah. And she top has knot. top knot, and she has it very high on her head. It's all you know. Oh yes, And I'm yes. sure you've seen pictures pictures of yeah. her. But what they seem to, I think, what that that man suggests in the lecture is also that they had during the heyday of all this sort of dancing, they had two um, universal exhibitions, so there were actually quite a lot of tourists there as well so I think already it seems like 
she was in the 80s and the 90s she was a mega star that already then it sort of Montmartre was a bit of a tourist haunt as well uh, he's called Francois Ganot that's what he's called and he wrote something about the lecturer of, the lecturer I'll send you a link to, to the le lecturer and she I mean she's just very interesting person generally because at some point she stops dancing and she starts to um, have like a little theater of her own on fairgrounds so oh, wow. she does that for a while and I haven't quite figured out what actually I think there is a bit of dancing going on um, but I'm not quite sure what the show consists of and then she becomes that's what I find most mind-boggling she becomes a domptuous like a lion tamer I know it's quite incredible and she she seems to be really animal an animal lover there's this picture which is amazing which is her and this really really big dog and apparently she rescued sort of animals so she does that for a while but then i, I think there's some people i maybe even her son she has a son dies and sort of things go terribly downhill with her i think around the time of the first world war uh, and then she later on she sells she goes back sometimes to the Moulin Rouge, but she's not a not the star anymore. But she sells peanuts and other things like like that. And there is some footage of her from the twenties when she is quite big, and she still does a little bit of a twirl and a little bit of a dance for for the oh people goodness. who film her. And she she ends up living in this. It's like a wooden trailer type thing. Mm. Yeah, and that's where she, I think, lives at, at the end of her days. So, wow, yeah. somebody should make a film. Has her film been made of this? I, because I don't think so. I um, think you should make the film, bitch. So she she has a, her grandson, actually, great-grandson, becomes a writer and he writes a bi biography. And she's actually written her own, I think the Moulin Rouge has her own memoir. And I think the great-grandson has, has published that but I didn't quite understand that so I I bought another biography which is written more like yeah. a novel which I'm not okay. so keen on I mean it's still very interesting but I, I might try and get the other ones as well I think it's so fascinating women who because of women's status at that time but because that they're so adaptable that they're so flexible and that they have to be to survive and also that it's a really a different kind of womanhood, if you like, for working class women. Do you know what I mean? Because they have to, they have to kind of fight for themselves, and to become this extraordinary success. But then to keep going and doing all these different things to make money and keep keep yourself together is so admirable and so yeah, just so important that someone like her, that her story is told and not just a, I know it's obvious but not just a kind of middle class women yeah who... no I think totally the same we we've got um at the Museum of London we've got the clothes of someone whose stage name was Kitty Lord and oh I know. I've heard of yeah her. she's and she's similar so uh, occasionally in in spurts I'll try and find out more about her but I yeah the early years are still sort of eluding me at the moment but she's you know she travels to Brazil to perform there she performs Imagine. I know she and this is around 1900 
actually yeah. in Brazil, she's sort of 96. The um, I've just seen, and I hadn't seen, never seen this before, so maybe they put it online more recently. There are all these postcards that were written to her when she was in Cairo. So she was in Cairo for a while, performing there. She was in Italy and France. Was she a dancer? She was an eccentric dancer. So, oh, la la, what does that mean? <laughs> well, apparently that means you include some acrobatics in your dance. Oh, so, exciting. <clears throat> yeah, so she, and then I'm still worried sometimes that it's not the same person. But then oh, she does yeah. seem to then marry a bank clerk. And then in sort of 1914 or so, she marries or 13. And then she doesn't perform anymore. But she lives until the 70s, I think. Yeah, but she again, you know, I just think that's I don't know where, you know, I don't know her early years. I don't know really her background, but but yeah. but somewhere I read she's in service, but she was in service, but I haven't found any proof. But she's, you know, she's similar kind of kind of story. And uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. imagine, yeah, traveling there on your own, performing. Um, it's amazing. It's so inspiring. Mm. And I, yeah, I think. We need an exhibition that puts some of these women together who find this kind of fame and creative outlet and travel and through just sheer, I mean, obviously it's talent and charisma and things like that, but it's also just sheer willfulness Mm. to overcome all the obstacles there must be for a working class woman to get where they got. Yeah, and with Lago Luda, they in in this lecture he mentioned someone else. She's called, I think, Celeste Mogador. I'm not oh. sure if Mogador is her actual real name, and she later becomes, I think, a countess. So for a lot, for a lot of women, or the you know the famous gaiety girls, a lot of them, or Mary El, uh, Lily Elsie, people like that. Yeah. A lot of them marry, and they marry up, if that's yes. still the right way of talking about it like that but with La Goulouve what I find interesting is she doesn't you know she she just keeps going with her and yeah. she, she has partners and maybe she does marry for a while but she, that doesn't stop her doing her no. her business or businesses businesses yeah wow yeah well, so that's, she's she's that's yeah she is amazing so we need to come up with our businesses I guess maybe that's what the takeaway I know. I'm not is. sure I'm up to being an eccentric dancer. No, I don't think I am, and I'm not. I'm, <laughs> I don't think I can. I, I, the splits. That's just not going to work. It's not going to work. Um, no, we're going to have to do a slightly more kind of sedate. Dance yeah. We become wildly famous. Yeah, something but a bit I'm more sure genteel. Well, we can do the Bond apart dance. Exactly. That's fine. I'm yeah. sure loads of people would pay to see that. Yeah, exactly. Perfect solution. <laughs> <laughs> On that note. On that note. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.